saying that I thought that this was going to be a particularly busy time of the year for you. Mm-hmm. you know, I mean, obviously, everybody's the, the season starts in a couple weeks, right? Well, technically, it started this past weekend. Yeah. Uh, there were two opening games between the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks in Australia this year. Uh, and they counted, and then those teams go back and play some more spring training games, and then the season really starts. So it's what, a what? it's Let's a strange strange beginning. Is that uh, is that I've never heard. Is that the first time they've done that? Uh, it's the first time they've done it in Australia. Yeah. They've done similar things in like Japan. Uh, you know, just trying to increase the the international audience a bit by going somewhere and playing there. Yeah, and they did a couple exhibition games, and then a couple real games, and then. Uh, now they go back and play some more spring training, and then they start again, uh, like April first or so. It's re- it's interesting to watch professional sports to watch them. I don't know. I'd say do these sort of like gimmicky things mm-hmm. to attract more people. I mean, is 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 the baseball audience not where it was or where it should be? Uh, I mean, it's it's lost some market share in this country. Yeah. Um, it's I mean, attendance wise and revenue wise, it's as healthy as ever, but. Uh, you know, it's it's lost some ground in terms of just being the national pastime. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are trying to increase the appeal elsewhere, and it's been it's become a big thing. You know, in Europe and Australia, of course, in Japan, it's been big for a while. Uh, so they're trying to open up new markets and and have players come in and kind of increase the talent pool and and hopefully the audience also. Mm-hmm. So you were saying earlier that that uh, that this isn't this isn't any more busy than any other time of year. Right. Which was shocking to me because, you know, <laughs> I would think that, you know, especially you guys are kind of in the business of, um, you know, statistics and, mm-hmm. and, and doing projections. Right. So you would think that the lead up to the season would be hectic. It kind of is because we do our annual book at Baseball Prospectus every year and we try to wrap it up around Christmas or New Year's and then it comes out in mid-February or so. It was actually earlier this year. We kind of have to have projections ready for the book. Uh, and then we tweak them as we get closer to the season, and we, we know where players are going to be, and we yeah. can predict their playing time a bit better. Um, but since we have to have it done early, kind of have the, the season preview stuff wrapped up pretty early a little bit. And so now we we do some editorial content, you know, season previews, division previews, team previews, podcast previews. Um, but it's it's different. It's busy in a different way, but not really more busy. Over the, over the winter, there's constantly news and players being traded and players signing uh so there's hardly ever a you know really the the week before christmas maybe is the the slow week i guess in this industry and pretty much every industry um other than that it's it's really a year-round thing who's who's the target audience i mean you know i'm wondering especially like in terms of the annual like i you know and um i i'm not i'm certainly not a uh hardcore sports fan by any Mm -hmm. stretch of imagination but i i like the site and i I like listening to your podcast but Mm -hmm. Like who's who who's who's doing the annual? Who's getting all that premium content that you guys have? Uh, a lot of people value it for fantasy. You know, mm-hmm. fantasy has has exploded over yeah. the years, and so people buy the book to look at the projections and see how players are going to do. Uh, which I did before I was at Baseball Prospectus, and I yeah. played fantasy, and I did the same thing. Um, so you know, baseball's audience sort of skews older, at least mm-hmm. in terms of people who go to games and yeah. watch games on TV, but. People who read Baseball Prospectus are, are skew younger, at least. Mm. People who are kind of into the, the advanced analysis and the new statistics and new ways of looking at the game. So we've got kind of a mix. Uh, you know, we've, we've got people commenting on the side who said, you know, I used to watch Mickey Mantle or whatever. And then you've got people who are in <laughs> yeah. high school and college. So it, it spans all age groups, it seems like. But, 
you know, in the grand scheme of things, um, sabermetrics, money ball, these are relatively new phenomenon. Right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. I mean, the book came out early last decade. Uh, the movie was a couple of years ago. Baseball Prospectus has been around since 1996. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'd, we'd like to think we were ahead of the game a little bit. Um, a lot of the founders of BP and the first generation of writers at BP were influenced by Bill James. Yeah. You know, there are people who bought Bill James abstracts when they were teenagers and then they kind of grew to look at the game that way and, and eventually when it became easy to just start a website and start writing about things they did that um, you know they were on message boards before that and then they all got together and said we should start a site um, so it it has you know it, at first it was sort of a fringe thing uh, but more and more it's become mainstream and people are you know all the the new sites that are springing up the data journalism sites um, people are more and more receptive to that it seems like so it's been good for us so let's. I assume a lot of people out there have either read the book or, or seen the movie, but like re- really, really broadly, what is sabermetrics? What is Moneyball? Well, uh, sabermetrics, as originally defined, is just the objective study of baseball. Um, so it's you know trying to study baseball as if it were a science yeah. and and worthy of scientific inquiry. So, but it's I mean you know they've always looked at statistics and baseball. It's always been right, part of it, but these are different yeah i mean statistics are objective or sort of objective we find that they're not always when it's a person recording something and and putting them into statistics but but that's one way where you know the old sort of baseball cliches that people will just say you know like jack morris the the hall of fame candidate people say oh he pitched to the score you know he when the the game was close he wouldn't allow any runs but when it was not close he would and that's why he had a era this high uh, but if you look at the stats, you see that's not really the case. It's and, kind of a fanciful approach to right. baseball. And it's really easy yeah. to, to say those things. It's less easy when the numbers are out there, which yeah. they are now. And now that people can look at them, we we find that we can answer those questions obvi- you know, often, or at least we can we can try. Uh, so, so that's sabermetrics. Moneyball was just sort of the idea of making your dollar go farther really in baseball um just you know finding an undervalued commodity in the game Mm -hmm. uh and trying to exploit that while it was undervalued so with billy bean's athletics that were in the movie and in the book uh the inefficiency was high on base percentage players you know people people thought guys with high batting averages were really valuable but there are other ways to get on base right you can get on base via the walk via the hit by pitch and and people were underrating that skill so the skill uh, of being hit by a pitch (laughs) it is a skill actually for some (laughs) players it's a it's a painful one um and so the A's since then have moved on to other things. For yeah. a while, they were really into to defensive guys, or now it seems like they're really into sort of having a lot of redundancy on your roster, just having a lot of guys backing up other guys and flexible players who can mm-hmm. play multiple positions and platooning lefties and righties to get the most out of your roster. So yeah, it, and you you had, and you mentioned in the recent, I'm, you know, I'm from the uh, East Bay, so I'm, mm-hmm. I pay special attention to the, the, the A's analysis, but. Uh-huh. Um, I think there's a lot more switch hitters on on the team. Yeah, there's switch hitters and also just platooning lefties and righties and making sure that they're always, you know, because left-handed hitters tend to do better against right-handed pitchers and vice versa. So if you kind of, you know, platoon them, as it's called, to to give each of them the advantage, um, then you can get more out of guys who maybe if they were playing full-time wouldn't be that great but you you know you you take each each player's strengths and put them together uh so that has been something that they've really gotten into lately i mean you you you, you uh you brought the a's up and i'm wondering if they're still I meaning you know, I, I i assume that 
this sort of analysis has kind of exploded mm-hmm. all over um, mm-hmm. all over the league, but um, they're still kind of at the forefront of, of th- this idea. It seems that way. It's definitely gotten a lot harder for a team or for a general manager to stay ahead of the competition because, you know, every GM who's hired now is Ivy League degree or, you know, has some some you know some some credentials yep. that 20 years ago if he'd been hired it would have been the most progressive thing in the world now it's well, just another well, guy yeah, that's interesting actually mm-hmm. let's like, real quick what, yeah. what were the credentials prior to that uh often playing the game which okay. you know still helps if, yeah. if you have played um but that was often kind of the main thing did you did you play and then you'd play and you'd become a scout for a while yeah. maybe uh and then eventually you'd work your way up to the top of the front office whereas now that still happens to a degree. It's still helpful to have a, a playing background, but there's there's much more openness. You know, if you are coming from investment banking or you're coming from the business mm-hmm. world or you're, you know, a, a math computer science yeah. person or something, you can you can get into the game now without necessarily having played. Because Bill, Billy Bean played, but right. he mm-hmm. wasn't a great major league player. Right, right. And he, he sort of picked up on the, the money ball philosophies from Sandy Alderson, who was there before he was and kind of gave way to him and is now the, the Mets general manager. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of the one who who put these philosophies into place at first. Um, but but there's, a, there's still that conception that money ball is guys who walk a lot, um, which is, you know, that was never really or the... Or foul I- hitters. Right. It, yeah. That was what Moneyball was then. Now it could be something completely different. But the the organizing principle is just that you want to win in ways that are you know you you can win more cheaply uh, than the competition. And that's always been the mo for the A's because they generally haven't had a ton of money. Right, and that's what we've seen. The the smaller market teams, yeah. the A's and the Rays, have tended to be at the forefront of this mm. just because they had to be really. So, uh, the, the the concept of um, you know having having been a a player previously and you know having that helped your career as a GM is kind of interesting to me mm-hmm. because um, you know as somebody who does a lot of for example like you know writing about technology or music mm-hmm. um, you know there's always a lot of back and forth about whether you know whether you have to be a great musician to write right. about music obviously <laughs> right. we know that's uh-huh. not the case um, I'm wondering like, you know do you, do you find do you, do you, are you working with any um I mean, probably a lot of people did college ball, I'm guessing. But. Yes, uh, and we've had some players write for us, not mm-hmm. you know as a regular member of the staff, but just a few, you know, one-off piece here and there. Um, I mean, it's still, you know, you can't be a major league manager without having played, really, yeah. even to this day. Uh, you know, in, in other sports, maybe you, you have the guy in the jacket, you know, who never played, yeah. and he's the coach. That is just not the case in baseball. You know, the managers are in uniform, just like the players, and almost all of them played at a high level. And it seems to be this sort of thing where at least there's a perception that you can't command the respect of the clubhouse unless you have been in the clubhouse and you know what it is like Mm -hmm. to be a player. Uh, And there's probably something to that. You know, baseball is a a long season and there are a lot of games and there's probably something to the idea that it helps to have been there and and know what players are going through day to day. Um, I do wonder whether that will change at some point in the future. Um, but it, it seems like you know more and more of the analysis is kind of falling on the front office these mm-hmm. days, uh, and some teams are now hiring coaches to kind of relay the information from the general manager or the analyst to the manager. 
because um, teams are doing all kinds of crazy things. You know, defensive positioning is now a big thing where you don't just stand at second base anymore. If you're a second baseman, you might move into right field when a, a pull hitter is up. And if that's where he hits the ball, then that's where you stand. Um, and that's something that it's really difficult to do just from observation. You need to look at the numbers and look at the trends. And managers don't have time to do that because, you know, guys like me are asking them questions all the time. Joe Buck is telling them, you know, having them do a mid-game interview from yeah, the bench. Yeah. So it's a lot for one one person to handle. So, so you know, what is what is your own background and what, you know, what are where do most of the people, not most, but where do, you know, I guess, where, yeah, where do most of the people on your staff come from in terms of background? Uh, I mean, my background, I was just, you know, an English major, really, who, who read Baseball Prospectus yep. in, like, high school, college, and was introduced to it by a friend, and... And so you're not a math guy? Not, I mean, I, I'm really interested in, yeah. in the math stuff that we do, and I, I want to promote that side of the site as much as possible, uh, but I don't do the, the hardcore numbers myself, really. I'll, I'll ask the questions, and I'm fortunate that we have people who can help me answer them, mm-hmm. and I can interpret those answers, but uh, I'm not anywhere close to the, to the most advanced members. Yeah. People... Jay Jaffe, who used to write for us, now writes for Sports Illustrated, used to refer to himself as the, the liberal arts wing of baseball uh-huh. prospectus. So that's kind of what I consider myself also. Um, but, I mean, we have all kinds of, you know, people. Uh, we only have, you know, we have several full-time employees, but most of our writers and most of BP's writers always have, have been people who had full-time jobs that maybe had nothing to do with baseball mm-hmm. and they just loved baseball and they would write about it in their spare time and we'd give them a, a platform to do that um so you know we've had uh you know lots of just computer science people we have a geneticist on the staff right now we're talking to a what does a geneticist do <laughs> uh he he does you know pitch fx advanced analysis uh-huh. uh and he he'll bring in techniques that he uses in in his discipline his day job we've had uh, a guy who who worked in like infectious diseases and trying to figure out how to eradicate those and he wrote for us for a while and he just got hired by the indians um we were talking to someone who you know works in astronomy it, it's really the the history of baseball analysis is people coming from other disciplines and just yeah. being fascinated by baseball in their spare time and you know eventually getting obsessed enough about it that they will write something and they'll advance the research somehow and for some of them it becomes a job a lot of people have moved into the baseball industry and now work for baseball teams or yeah that's that's well yeah as, as as i was saying to you before we we turned on the mics um you know i was listening to one of your other podcasts earlier and mm-hmm. I, I guess that went away because somebody <laughs> yes right joined a, a team yeah kevin kevin goldstein uh now works for the astros and and that was a, a different thing for us because he was actually hired for a scouting role uh and historically baseball prospectus has been known for the stats um, but lately, we've been really ad- as much into the scouting as the stats. Mm-hmm. And so now we're seeing people get poached on both sides. So, you know, teams will hire our writers as analysts to look at numbers for them, but they will also hire scouts. Uh, you know, we had three guys get hired this year as scouts from teams, which is really gratifying. And it's just good for them, but it kind of sucks a little bit for you. <laughs> it right? does a little for me. You as can't keep writing about it if you're working for no, a team. No, you can't, right. Uh, yeah. But we understand that a lot of people come to BP because we have that reputation as the place where you can get read by baseball teams and get hired. And so it's sort of a there's a silver lining for us in that it's it's unfortunate when we lose someone and we have to then scramble to find someone else. Um, 
But at the same time, it attracts a new wave of people who want to work for us because they see that, well, you you can get red and, and end up working for a baseball team. So it kind of helps us uh, renew the talent. So, so are you getting that feedback a lot? Are, are a lot of um, you know managers and GMs, they're reading the site? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah all the time. Uh, and I mean, we... I, we've gotten at the beginning of BP it was sort of like BP was outsiders and we were kind of you know sitting on the sidelines sniping right basically taking pot shots at you know oh this guy doesn't know what he's doing and the manager doesn't know what he's doing and he should be playing this guy and all these you know this move is stupid Mm -hmm. now it's it's much less like that and in part it's because teams have really gotten much smarter so it's harder to make fun of them now um it's also harder to make fun of people when they're reading what you're writing yeah that too and especially when they used to (laughs) work with you and then they get hired and work for a team and it's like well this team has this smart guy we used to work with so it can't be stupid um so we have kind of I, I don't. I wouldn't even call it pulling our punches. We just don't want to throw them as much. There aren't really. Aren't, there isn't really that reason to. But we still sort of keep a, a snarky tone from time to time, just because it's it's more fun to read. So, so is the end game just making as accurate of predictions as possible? Is that everybody's working uh, toward that? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think good writing has always set sure. BP apart. I hope at least that people come to us for that. You know, there are a lot of places on the internet where you can get numbers now. Um, I, I hope the fact that we try to, you know, put those numbers into interesting narratives or have a funny line here or there, or we have well written stuff because it's, you know, you just dump a bunch of numbers on a web page. It's, you might refer to it from time to time, but you're not really going to stay there. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we try to construct stories around the numbers and now. Now we're a, a credentialed organization, like by the Baseball Writers Association of America. So you know, I and, and a couple other people on the staff can now go into clubhouses and, and talk to players. And so we're trying to do that more and more because you know we find that if you look at the numbers and you see something interesting, it's fine to just point that out without any context or explanation and just say, "Well, this is funny. I wonder why that's happening." But you can now just go into the clubhouse and say, hey, we noticed that you're doing this thing. Why is that? Hmm. Uh, And often the players, you know, if you give them a specific prompt like that or a specific observation so that they know what you're talking about and they know that you know what you're talking about, they will give you an interesting answer and an an interesting observation. And it's helped me learn a lot more about baseball, I think. So so are you finding that, I mean, has it trickled down that the players are now as conscious of this whole concept as, as the uh, managers? There is, there's more awareness yeah. of it, um, if only just because teams are really now paying them based on these advanced stats. You know, okay. it's uh, people aren't getting paid by runs batted in and wins and losses anymore. They're getting paid by these more advanced measures that say how much they're really worth. So, so, so I mean, again, to use kind of a, a cliched example you brought uh-huh. up before, but, you know, let's say that... Um, a player's brought on, it's assumed that, you know, part of why he's brought on is because he gets a lot of walks. Right. Uh-huh. Um, is, how conscious of, is he of this, of this fact when he's hired? They bring him into the office, they say, listen, you know, this, <laughs> this, is, this is why we hired you. That, yeah, that does happen. Um, I mean, there are still a lot of players who, you know, look at the, the numbers on the back of the baseball card, just like a lot of fans do. Mm-hmm. You know, your runs, RBI, batting, batting average. But uh, you do see that players get rewarded for for these skills that didn't used to be recognized. Yeah. You know, Shin Su Chu, uh, who was signed by the Rangers this offseason to one of the biggest deals, is he's an OBP guy, on-base percentage guy. He walks a lot. He gets hit by pitches a lot. 
in the past, you know, he probably wouldn't have commanded one of the biggest deals of the offseason because he doesn't hit for a ton of power. Uh, but he's a guy who has these sort of ancillary skills that are now recognized. And teams recognize those, and players take note of that, I think. Um, you know, they're not... There are certain players, like Brandon McCarthy with the Diamondbacks, is known as just a... I mean, you can talk to him, and it's like talking to a baseball prospectus author. He knows all of the same things that we know. He reads the same things we read. He looks at the same stats we look at. But some players find that it's not all that helpful to them to look at that. You know, you don't want to go out to the mound or go to the plate and be thinking about all these numbers that are in your head. It could just be distracting, so they will focus on one stat, you know, like oh, this hitter doesn't swing that often on the first pitch, so I can I can just throw the ball right in there, and he probably will take it for a strike. Like, that, they'll just focus on that one concrete piece of information more so than, you know, some crazy stat with a weird acronym name. So these, uh, so these are the, um, you know, when we see the manager go out to the mound, I mean, these are feasibly the sorts of discussions that they're having <laughs> out there. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, that's mostly just, you know, settle down, how you feel. Yeah. But... Um, but it definitely comes up, you know, in spring training or something like uh, like uh, one of the latest areas of research is uh, pitch framing, which is the, the ability of certain catchers to to make a, a pitch more likely to be called a strike mm-hmm. by, you know, the way they receive the ball yep. and make it look to the umpire. And this is something that, you know, baseball men would always tell you that that certain catchers were able to do this, yep. but there was no way to quantify it, really. Whereas now that, you know, everything is tracked, so the flight of the pitch from the pitcher's hand to the catcher's glove is tracked, you know exactly where it is, and we can look at the pitches and say, well, what's the probability that a pitch in this precise location would be called a strike? Mm-hmm. Uh, and certain catchers make it more likely that a pitch that, you know, with another guy wouldn't be called a strike will be called a strike. So Jose Molina, for instance, on the on the Tampa Bay Rays, uh, was always a backup catcher because he's not a great hitter, but had a good reputation as a good defensive catcher. Lately, in his late 30s, he's become a starting catcher, which is a strange trajectory yeah. for a guy to go from less playing time to more playing time Especially when he's past his knees. right past yeah. his physical prime. Yeah. And it's almost certainly because of this pitch framing ability that is now quantified, and he shows up as one of the most valuable guys. And so there have been a ton of articles written about it, and people have gone to him and said, have you seen what these numbers say? And he says, that's great. That's what I'm trying to do, and that's why they want me here and so it, it's kind of a you know it's a feedback loop where we look at the numbers and then we talk to the players and the players understand what the numbers say and the teams understand what the numbers say and they will communicate to the players you're doing this we like this this is good keep doing this do this more um so it, it's really made the game as a whole more efficient i yeah. think yeah we- you said it's you know almost certainly or it, or it's you know most likely and I, I'm guessing that um, you know there a lot of these things are trade secrets these are not things that right. the, the, the managers are necessarily willing to talk to you about right uh, Joe Madden who's the manager of the Rays sometimes is open about these things and he he said once a couple of years ago that he had seen some study about Molina and, and how much how many runs he had saved with his catcher, you know, his framing ability, it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, so sometimes there's some openness, but often, yeah, the Rays, you know, their front office won't speak to anyone. Um, they don't even really like you to know who's in their front office if, if they can help it. So there are teams that are more open and, and less open than others. And, and if a team feels that it's really onto something that could give them a competitive advantage, they are not going to tell you about that if they can yeah. at all help it. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, the A's were open, or Billy Bean was open to some degree right. if he was talking to Michael Lewis about this book. But, um, you know, have have they seen it as a positive impact <laughs> on the team now that all of this sort of trade secret is out right. there? Right, it kind of came back to bite them. You could make the case, at least. I, I don't know whether he has openly said that he regrets uh, divulging those things, but, I mean, you know, everyone who gets into the game now and is into statistical analysis yeah. says it's because of Moneyball, uh, and they read this, and they were inspired by it, and they wanted to do it. And now a lot of those people are working for Billy Bean's opponents. So in a way, I, I think you could certainly say that it did come back to hurt him at all, a little bit. You know, if he had been a bit more closed-mouthed about it, maybe that advantage would have lasted a little yeah. longer. Has has the game changed as far as, you know, from the, the I guess, a casual observer's pers- perspective? Obviously, you, you notice these very subtle differences, but... Has have there been any major changes to the game because of because uh, of uh, sabermetrics? Maybe strikeouts has has been a a change that anyone would notice. Just uh, you know, strikeouts used to be regarded as always a bad thing because I mean, you know, if you played little league, For you sure. remember it's yeah. it's embarrassing yeah. when you strike out. You swung and you didn't hit it at all. Um, but we found over the years that. Strikeouts aren't such a bad thing. They're often correlated with good things. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a power hitter who swings really hard, sometimes he will strike out, but other times he will hit the ball a really long way. So sure. that's, you know, a trade-off. It's kind of, it's Wasn't, okay. Like, didn't Babe Ruth lead, lead in yeah, I mean, strikeouts? Right, yeah. you, you know, that's not such a bad thing. Plus, if you get into deep counts, you take a lot of pitches because you, you know, you're patient, yeah. you walk. Sometimes you'll get a called strike three, but often you'll get a ball four. So it's, you know... Another thing is, if you're a strikeout guy, you won't hit into a ground ball double play. That's pretty much the worst thing that you could do is just be a, a contact hitter who puts the ball in play weakly and just grounds into a double play. That's two outs, so that's that's twice as bad. And you're tiring the pitcher out in the process. Right. Uh, so that's become more and more accepted that it's okay to have hitters who strike out. And it's also become more and more accepted that it's good to have pitchers who strike out hitters, uh, which is kind of mind-bending in a way that it's not that bad for hitters to strike out, but it's really good for pitchers to strike hitters out. Mm -hmm. But that tends to be the case if you can be a pitcher and not have to rely on your defense at all, just get the out yourself, just striking the guy out, that's a good thing. So more and more teams have targeted these guys, pitchers who strike out a lot of batters, and batters who, you know, are patient and hit for power and therefore might also strike out. And so the rate of strikeouts has been increasing and increasing hmm. years, you know, year by year. And it's now at a higher rate than ever. And that bothers some people, you know, because they like to see balls put in play and good defensive plays. And, and I can understand that. Uh, and, it you know, it could get to a point where you see baseball want to do something about that, whether it's change the, the dimensions of the strike zone or lower the mound. You know, they've hmm. done things like that in the past yeah. when there's been a, a low scoring area or a high scoring area you might make some minor adjustment there but uh that has probably been the most noticeable trend just watching the game which and, and you know this this speaks to something larger which i'm sure is a question that you 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 have to field all the time so forgive me for asking it for the millionth time but um you know has has all this statistical analysis has this made watching baseball any less fun uh I don't think so. Not at all. There's, I know that for a lot of people, I think it does because we will, you know, we'll hear from people or we'll read all these stats are ruining the game. I just yeah. want to watch the game and not think about all these numbers. It, you know, I don't want baseball to be like math class, that kind of thing. Um, 
for us, I mean, I think the people who use numbers and write about them on the internet, I think, are as passionate about baseball as anyone and watch as much baseball as anyone. And for whatever reason, they sort of wanted to dig a little bit deeper and, and understand, uh, you know, why these things were happening that they were watching. And so the numbers really, for me, have just made the game much more fascinating now. Uh, I, I don't enjoy watching the game any less, um, understanding more about these sabermetric principles. It will, you know, often I'll be watching a game and it'll give me an idea for something to, to look into or, you know, it'll just make me appreciate if I know how rare something is. And I see it happen. It's like, hey, that's really cool. That happens this percentage of the time. And we just saw it happen. That's really exciting. Um, so I know that that's not the case with everyone. And and Major League Baseball just uh, debuted this new technology that's going to be a, a, in effect in a few ballparks mm-hmm. this year and in every ballpark in 2015 that will track every movement made on the baseball field. So the ball, the players, all the players, you know, it, it just spits it out into a database it's based on cameras and radar um and so they showed this demo of a video of jason hayward making a an incredible catch mm-hmm. last year uh in city field and it would and it said you know well his acceleration was this fast and it took him this long to take his first step and his top speed was x miles per hour and this was his root efficiency like if he had run in a straight line uh he would have been this efficient yeah. but he actually went this this direction so he was 97% efficient and to me that was really cool to see all of that stuff but you could not see any of that stuff and still recognize that it was a great catch yeah. and enjoy it just as much so you know if you want to see the numbers then they're out there if you don't you can enjoy the game just as much as ever I think well yeah I also imagine that you know I mean if if God forbid you ever get to the point where these projections are 100% accurate, I mean, uh-huh. that'll be a different case. But, I mean, is, isn't part of the fun all of these um, these variations and these, these strange, weird things that affect the game? Yeah, and we'll never get exactly accurate. Like, even if you, even if you perfectly estimate what a, tr- a team's true talent level is, you know, like, this is, this is a platonic ideal of an yep. 81-win team. Even so, there will always be fluctuations of several wins in either direction just based on, you know, things that are, I don't know whether you want to call them luck or, or what, but they can't be predicted. Just Injuries. And- injuries, you know, we hope maybe one day we'll be able to predict those a little bit better than we can now. But even so, just, you know, the order in which things happen, like batting average with runners in scoring position is something that fluctuates mm-hmm. wildly from year to year for a team. So it doesn't mean that they're not a clutch team or that they are a clutch team, but one year they might just happen to get a lot of hits when there are runners on. And so they'll score more runs with those hits than they would have in another year. Uh, And we can't predict whether that will happen or not. So an 81 win team, you know, if you simulated the season a thousand times, if you could somehow play the season a thousand times, maybe that team would win 81 games on average, but one year they might win 75, one year they might win 87. So there's always that element of, of uncertainty. Even if our projections are, are right on, we might still be wrong. So, you know, as, as we're getting into the, the uh, projections for, for next year, let's take a step back and look at last year. I mean, how, how accurate did those prove ultimately? I mean, when you look at them from year to year, it's hard to, it's hard to say because you – you know, on the whole, you project the league fairly well, but mm-hmm. you might just completely miss on some breakout player or some yeah. player who had a terrible year. Uh, there are always just things that we're way, way off on. Um, 
you know, I think there are teams that we have missed. Like, you know, when the when the Rays went from being terrible to good all of a sudden, that was something that Baseball Prospectus predicted, Nate Silver predicted at the time, uh, who was with us then. And, you know, he saw that, that they had made this great change to their defense where they had gone from having the worst defense to the best defense in the course of one offseason, mm-hmm. which was something that you might not really have noticed if you were just kind of eyeballing the roster. But he predicted that. But, you know, the A's, for instance, we didn't predict. Yeah. Uh, when they went from being bad to being really good in 2012, we didn't really see that that was happening. And maybe in part it was because we didn't know that they were going to be doing this platooning thing and, you know, getting the most out of their roster that way. We just sort of assume that they will manage like any other team would manage and kind of predict them that way. Whereas, you know, you might hire a, an executive or a manager who has an idea and does something differently, and mm-hmm. we will not see that coming at all. Um, so every year there are hits and there are misses, but if you look at it over a, a long span of time, you know, it's it's there's a lot that we miss on from year to year, but it's better than, you know, just kind of eyeballing yeah. it and guessing. It's better than flipping a coin. Um, you know, there's a there's a really basic projection system called Marcel uh, that's named after the the monkey from Friends, um, and it's just the most basic projection system. It just looks at like what a guy has done the last couple of years and how old he is, um, and it predicts how he'll do. And most of the really advanced projection systems barely beat that. Yeah. Uh, even if you add all this additional complexity, it's really hard to to beat that baseline. And so, you know, our projection system, Pakoda that Nate Silver developed uh, about a decade ago is based on what comparable players did, you know, looking at players who played the same position and sort of had similar stats and and similar body types and how did they age going forward. Uh, And even that, you know, it adds a little bit. It makes it just a little bit better, but we're certainly not in any danger of, you know, removing all the the suspense. Well, the, the Red Sox were kind of a surprise last year, right? They Ortiz, were. Ortiz specifically, it sounds like. Yeah, well, I mean, Ortiz just, he defied the normal aging curve, yeah. you know, and that will that will happen to players. Um, he seemed to be declining the way that, you know, players, players typically do, do yeah. when they are in their mid-30s or so, and he was a bit banged up, and then he just came back, and, and really last year was as productive as he had ever been. Uh, so... You know, I don't want to say that that's unpredictable, but it's pretty close. I, you know, I, maybe if you knew something about Ortiz and you said, well, he's rededicated himself to training or he's doing some new hitting thing, but, you know, a, a computer system that's just looking at the stats isn't going to pick up on that. So, right, that kind of came out of left field. We didn't expect a, you know, 37, 38-year-old guy to be as good as he was in his prime. Uh, so, you know, every now and then that will happen and we'll be as surprised as anyone else. The you know for for obvious reasons the uh, the smaller teams tend to be more inclined to to play moneyball and to be you know to have, I, I, it seems like have more uh, more of a focus on saber metrics and I'm wondering if you know if the you know like the Yankees of the world are they are, uh, are, are they as they can't be as focused on this as you know the Yankees uh, or the Rays I mean it's getting to that point really? now I think where that advantage that the the smaller market teams had by kind of being the first mover and embracing this stuff first is sort of evaporating now because everyone's into it. Um, it used to be that uh, only the smaller market teams, like the, the Indians in the mid-90s, started this trend of signing young players to extensions. So you'd, you'd lock them up long-term to sort of a below-market deal when they were really young and still far away from free agency. And that was something that they did and the Rays did. Now every team does that. 
um, you know, because they saw that it worked for the smaller market teams and they said, well, we have a lot of money, but we'd still like to save some or, you know, spend it efficiently. So really every team has an analytics department at yeah. this time, at this point, you know, some are more advanced than others. Some got a head start, but, uh, I mean, you know, I, I used to intern for the Yankees and they're as into it as anyone really. Um, and, you know, probably have a bigger baseball operations department than, than other teams that are, you know, lower budget do. So it's really, it's getting hard to find any kind of edge now. I think that yeah. the edges are smaller and smaller. Which is unfortunate. I mean, that that was, I don't know, to, for, from, from my perspective at least, that was always the really exciting thing about this concept was it was almost sort of a leveling of the playing field, right? Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's why that's why it was always fun to be an A's fan because, <laughs> you know, the A's have never really had that much money, but they yeah. found they kind of found a way around that. And mm-hmm. I guess it's, it's going away a little bit now? I think so. It's definitely harder, which isn't to say that, you know, all the discoveries have been made. Um, I think there are still big big strides to be taken and and injuries are often cited as you know the the, yeah. the next frontier the team that figures out how to stop pitchers from blowing out their arms would have a huge advantage because that costs teams millions and millions of dollars every year um it's not really clear how feasible that is right now because you know there's a school of thought that well if we can just make these guys mechanics really clean and efficient uh, then we will stop them from, from hurting their elbows, and that won't happen anymore. But there's also the school of thought that says, well, there's only so much you can do to you know, reduce the stress on an arm that it's just it's, an, it's a motion that a lot of people say that people weren't built to pitch, you know, mm-hmm. to throw overhand, which is not really the case, but definitely... But human beings weren't designed right. to do that. Right. I mean, yeah. you know, we our ancestors threw spears and everything, and I'm sure it was <laughs> advantageous to be able to yeah. throw them hard. But we never really evolved to throw hundreds of times in the span of a single game as hard hundreds as you could. Miles an hour, right. Miles an hour, yeah. So that's just very stressful. And there's only so much you can do to make like a ligament or a tendon stronger. Those things kind of have their breaking point. Hmm. Um, you know, you can make the muscles stronger. You can decrease the stress a little bit, but it's not really clear yet. You know, injuries seem to be about as common as ever, even though people have been studying that and trying to find ways to reduce them. And now more and more with this new tracking technology that's coming out, people are interested in biomechanics, you know, how a guy throws, what the most efficient way to throw is, what can you do to make this guy's mechanics a little cleaner or reduce his, his probability of being injured a little bit. But it's not really clear whether we're ever going to get to the point where we just don't see these injuries anymore yeah. or whether maybe we'll just, you know, take a bite out of them a little bit. So why, why baseball? I mean, why, 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 why was baseball the big sabermetrics breakthrough i think uh, just the structure of the game is really conducive to this kind of analysis it's uh you have just a series of discrete events you know batter versus pitcher or you know fielder versus ground ball or something it's not not back and forth down the field the way most there are are. stoppages in the play constantly there are a number of discrete events there's almost always some sort of one-on-one confrontation going on whereas in hockey or in basketball or in football and there have been some really interesting analytics uh, advances there recently too but it's much harder to isolate the impact of one player uh, when there are you know tons of players on the field and they're all running every which way and how do you tell you know what this one guy's contribution is at any one point whereas with a hitter and a pitcher you can always kind of tell you know he did this and this at bat and you can attribute it to him 
Um, so it really lends itself more to this kind of analysis more than those other sports does, and, and that's that's why it's kind of been at the forefront. So okay, so last last question. Looking mm-hmm. ahead next year, mm-hmm. who are your picks? <laughs> well, uh, I think I'm going with the Dodgers this yeah. year as as the the top team and. According to our projection system, they were quite a bit better than any other team, and they were projected for like 98 wins or something, which is really rare uh, for us because our projections tend to look conservative to people because, you know, often we'll have the league leader projected to hit 35 home runs or something, and people will say, well, this guy hit 45 last year. Why would the leader only hit 35 this year? And we're not saying that the leader will hit 35. We're just you know we're simulating the season many times and often the guy who leads the league will have had some things go his way he'll be especially healthy or he'll you know have a bunch of balls bounce the right way so that he'll get on base more often so when you project who will lead the league you don't necessarily project that leader to you know exceed the number of the the previous season's leader you you tend to be a bit more conservative so we don't often project a team to, you know, win 100 games. Like, even the best team in the league will say, oh, you know, maybe they're a, a true talent 93-4 win team. And if everything goes their way, they could win 100, but, you know, they could also win 87. This year is kind of rare in that we projected the Dodgers to win 98 games, which is, you know, more than the, the typical projected league leader will be. And, I mean, you know, they have a really high payroll. They've signed a lot of really good players. They have a really deep roster. And they're in a division where it doesn't seem like they have uh, anyone who's really in their in their league talent-wise. So when you kind of look at who's going to win the World Series, I give the edge to the team that's more likely to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. Because as we've found, it's just really hard to predict whether a team will win in the playoffs. Once you, once you get there and you're just playing a five or seven game series... Yeah. Anything could happen yeah. so in that you, series. You give it to the team with the most projected wins for the year, is what you're saying? So if you're more likely to make the playoffs because, you know, the other teams in your division are weaker, yeah. uh, you know, like you could have, um, you know, like the Washington Nationals in the East are projected to, or I guess the AL East is always the, the perfect example, right? You always have really good teams there. You have the Red Sox and the Rays and the Yankees, but they all kind of beat up on each other. They're all kind of close to each other. So no one of them is really likely to make the playoffs, even though they are likely to be good teams. Mm -hmm. So you look at the Dodgers, who are in the National League West, and they don't seem to have, you know, an arch nemesis, really, in that division. So Are the the Giants not? uh... (laughs) I think they'll be a wild card team. Um, But so, you know, their path is clearer to the playoffs, and that makes them more likely to go all the way, just because, you know, if you get there, you're more likely to to make it. Um, So I would... I'd go with them in the National League and probably the Tigers in in the American League for pretty much the same reason. You know, they don't seem to have any teams that are really in their division and are right neck and neck. So you figure that they have a good chance to get there. And if they get there, then they have as good a chance as anyone to make it through the end. I I, I lied before. One one, one final question. Um, What's it like watching a baseball game with you? (laughs) Um, I don't think it will... I don't think it's really any of that different. I'm not sitting there making obnoxious, you know, uh, observations big, about graph paper. Or... I mean, I'll have my computer there yeah. often, um, but you know, I can just kind of go to a game and and watch it and be laid back and just you know not not analyze everything that's happening. I, you know, I enjoy just the aesthetics of the game as much as as anyone. Um, but you know, maybe after the game, I'll go and look something up and write about it that I that occurred to me while I was watching. 
There you go. That was Ben Lindbergh, the editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus. Uh, hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, hope you didn't mind the soundtrack. We actually recorded that conversation at a cafe near Ben's apartment in Manhattan. Uh, apparently, the cop shop owner is a big, big fan of the, uh, the, the buzz bin, so, you know, lots of alternative music playing uh, in the background some 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 goo goo dolls and and hootie and the blowfish while we uh, discussed uh, saber metrics and uh, the state of uh, the state of baseball uh, just uh, a few days ahead of uh, of opening day so I wanted to uh, kind of have that conversation just because uh, I was curious I wanted to you know I'm trying to um, try to, to sort of get a grasp on the state of uh, state of baseball right now um, I I like the rest of you read uh, read Moneyball saw the movie Moneyball um, got interested in the phenomenon of, of sabermetrics, but haven't done a very good job really sort of uh, digging into it. And I, I've been very curious about how it's sort of changed over the past, um, you know, the past several years, the past decade or so, and how it's actually changed the game of baseball. And I think uh, I think Ben did a, a pretty good job uh, offering some, uh, some, some insight into that. So um, you can... Check him out over at uh, baseballperspectives.com. He's got a uh, podcast you, you can go listen to. Actually, I uh, recommend uh, listening to uh, It's called Effectively Wild, um, and now is probably as good a time as any to start. And you can kind of backtrack a little bit, and they will go into um, the specifics of the standings, the 2014 standings before the uh, before the season starts, and kind of sort of let you know um, how the uh, uh, different teams are, are projected to do in the year to come. Um, so yeah, the annual is is out now as well. Uh, lots of lots of different ways to get into that. I also recently signed up for that mailing list. So um, you know, I can go to bars and pretend like I actually know anything about the current baseball season. Um, thanks to thanks to Ben. Thanks to Brian as always for editing this thing together. Um, Thanks to Mark and everybody else at uh, the Boing Boing Podcast Network and boingboing.net. Um, you can go over to boingboing.net, check out a lot of awesome shows over there, and they seem to be adding new ones every single day. Um, you can also check those out over at iTunes. There's a really beautiful uh, Boing Boing Podcast Network page where you can also find our show, which you seem to have done pretty well on your own already. Uh, you can rate our show over at iTunes. I recommend that you do so. Um, there's nothing in it for you except for some satisfaction in knowing that you've made me feel slightly better about myself in the show. Uh, we've got, uh, you can send us some feedback over at our Gmail address. It's riylcast uh, at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's riylcast.tumblr.com. And you can actually get uh, all of the shows a little bit early, um, sometimes hours, sometimes days uh, before they go up on Boing Boing and before they go up on iTunes. Uh, and uh, I think that's about all I got for you guys this week. I uh, will be back right around the same time next week for another episode of RIYL. Mm-hmm.